now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. Just Science interviews Robert Thompson, a senior forensic science research manager at the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Mr. Thompson discusses his research on consecutively manufactured barrels, an objective comparison of tool marks produced from consecutively manufactured cold chisels. The profile similarity and differences were compared using cross-correlation function and the recently developed congruent matching profile segments method. This season is funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. And welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. Welcome, I'm John Morgan, your host. It's not quite O Dark 30 at the Impression Pattern Trace Evidence Symposium, joined today by the Robert Thompson. And I say the Robert Thompson because he has been around. If you've been in forensic science, you don't know Robert Thompson, then you're the problem. He's the Senior Forensic Science Research Manager the Special Programs Office of Forensic Sciences at NIST, at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and 38 years of experience as a forensic scientist and criminalist starting at the age of two, I'm told. <laughs> Certified in criminalistics by ABC and as past chairman and current member of AFTI Certification Program Committee. We should have a talk someday about certification in forensic science. That's an important area that needs, needs some attention. He's a fellow of AAFS and a distinguished member of, of AFTI has court-accepted testimony in firearms toolmark identification, proximity testing, serology and DNA analysis, drug analysis, hair and fiber examination, blood spatter, shoe print <laughs> comparison, and crime scene shooting reconstruction, one of the few people that cuts across DNA and the pattern evidence discipline. So that's yes. Sometimes I refer myself to a recovering DNA examiner. <laughs> But not to take anything away from that, especially, certainly. Yeah, well, maybe we can uh, inspire some pattern evidence people to become DNA people and DNA people to become pattern it's, evidence it's people. Al it's always great to cross-pollinate. And we're going to talk a lot today with the Washoe County Sheriff's Department in Reno and with the Oregon State Police. And is very, very widely published. We're very, very fortunate to have Robert with us. Welcome. Thank you. Now, you're going to be giving a talk here at EPTIS on an area that is near and dear to both of us, which is looking at firearms and tool mark examination, in particular looking at consecutively manufactured barrels, which is a bit of a challenge, to be brutally honest, right, for us in terms of the manufacturing methods are becoming more challenging for the firearms examiner, isn't that right? Well, in a way, the new processes to machine tools in some ways are using more computer-aided design elements, but when it gets down to the microscopic tool where the metal is removed and all that, it's basically very similar to historical trends. The part about consecutive tools, why that's important is it's kind of like the worst case scenario. So if you have consecutive barrels or slides or chisels in this case, and you're testing your system, that's like the best population to test it against because if anything is going to match erroneously, that's the population you'd find it. You actually used a few different methods to look at the consecutively manufactured barrels 
including contact stylus profilometry, which is unusual, but uh, I'm sure uh, Mr. Davis from way back, what was the name of his book? Again? It was the uh, Firearms and Tool Marks and the Striograph. Yeah, the striograph, which was actually a microscope that was combined with a stylus profilometer, it was, right? Yeah, it was a stylus that went across the surface of the fired bullets, and the movement of the stylus was magnified to a photographic film, so you could get a full 360-degree surface profile. What year was that? That was in the 50s. In 1955 was when the book was was published, Mm -hmm. just two years after the invention of the focal microscope. In fact, his striograph is still in the... Oakland Police Department Crime Laboratory. Is that right? Yes. Is that right? Well, you know, one of my goals one day is to start a museum of forensic science, and we're going to get the striograph into that museum. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) You also used optical profilometry, or 3D, using the infinite focus? Yes. That's just one optical way of getting a 3D surface profile. And then uh, finally, I assume through the comparison microscope, looking at consecutive matching stria. Yes. That's the uh, classical way of looking at stria. Uh, in comparisons, looking at matches and known non-matches and how much agreement there is in a semi-quantitative method. Did you look on the contact method as being kind of the ground truth here? Or yes, how okay. the surface profile systems using stylus is, is like the ground truth. That's a contact type of measurement. It's used at NIST to qualify surfaces and make standards. It's like one of the best ways to measure a profile especially mm-hmm. a profile that was done in this case, or chisel marks. Okay. It's equivalent to like land impressions or land engraving impressions. I'm sorry, I was bullets. thinking it was barrels, but this is actually yeah. chisels. Chisels, yeah. Chisels in this case Because you've looked really at barrels, large. consecutively manufactured oh, yes. barrels before many, as well. Many, many, Using many. the same techniques or would you? We have done optical systems looking at fired bullets for a number of years now at NIST and have published. What was the material that you used the chisel against? Against a really highly polished copper. Copper, okay. Because uh-huh. now a lot of folks are worried about stylus profilometry against brass, right? Yes. Uh, so it was non-destructive to the copper? No, actually it will make a slight mark. While it's a great way to get a ground truth surface profile on copper or lead or something like that, you couldn't use that in casework. This is purely to get a best measurement of the profile from the chisel mark as possible to be compared to other methods and mm-hmm. just compare and contrast the actual measurements. Sure. And so what were your findings? Well, first of all, each of the chisels were machined consecutively at the factory, and I actually have videos of these being made. Then we had a, somewhat of a robot that actually scribed the surface to make a tool mark. So even the tool marks are very consistent, one chisel after the other. So each chisel had two tool marks made to test between match positions. But when you mix them all up, then you can look at non-match positions too and their measurements. And it's an exercise to see how much difference there is quantitatively between striated tool marks that match and the best non-match condition when we know ahead of time that the tool marks do not match. It's mm-hmm. called a known non-match type of comparison. In other words, we're looking at how much and what quantity can we have agreement from two sources just mm-hmm. by a chance. And that's very important in almost all of the impression evidence, whether it's fingerprints, firearms, and tool marks and all that. You have to have some kind of experience or database of samples that you know came from different sources, but you have to see how close even the different sources are to be able to know what a real identification is. So 
in my research, once we knew what the ground truth was, I wanted to compare the ground truth to two other methods, and that would be the optical systems, which mm -hmm. actually gets a virtual 3D yeah. surface. And that's the Alicona instrument. Uh, and in this about. case, we're using the Alicona. There are many other 3D optical systems out there that do just as well in this case. It seems like in some of the toolmark stuff, uh, like Chumbly uses the Alicona mm -hmm. also in all of yes. his research, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's a matter of whether you like Ford or Chevy, if you want to call it that. <laughs> so that was the important part, was to look at the three different ways of looking at comparisons. We also looked at three different ways to objectively quantify the similarity or the dissimilarity between the matches. Mm -hmm. So the first one is called cross-correlation, where we look at the full tool mark and see how the 2D profile mm -hmm. agrees mathematically. And we get score-based type of separation between known matches, known non-matches. We did that both for the stylus, mm -hmm. and we also did for the optical systems, and we also did it for the comparison microscope with me sitting down looking at the comparisons, the human CPU. Sure. What was important to know is that the method that we used that we added to the cross-correlation, the mathematical method, we know that two marks when in real life aren't compared that way. We never get a full chisel mark or a full screwdriver mark. It's always a partial. So what new system was added was called congruent matching profiles. And actually, instead of looking full tool mark to full tool mark, which only happens in research, we wanted to see whether we could do something more similar to actual casework. And what we do is we actually break up the tool marks into different segments. And we see how well the segments intercompare to each other because you might have a full tool mark as a test impression where you know where that tool, you have that tool mm -hmm. as an exhibit. But you want to compare to, say, the crime scene tool mark. Crime scene tool mark could be anywhere up and down that uh, profile. You don't know yet. In comparison microscopes, you have to go up and down and try all kinds of different profiles. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to mimic that in a way mathematically. So the only way that we found works really well for us is uh, this new method called congruent matching profiles, where small portions of the profile are compared to the full profile. And then as these agreements happen, they get stacked up and then we can actually measure how many segments and use that as a quantity. Yeah, so it's interesting. I've seen you talk about the congruent matching algorithm and it really is fascinating from that perspective because one of the things that isn't often recognized is this whole issue of you never have a perfect you know thing right coming to you it's always a partial in some way it's yeah. either partial geometrically smaller or some subset or it's distorted and that kind of thing or like whether it's tool marks or fingerprints it's not always perfectly inked it's going mm -hmm. to be a partial or smeared in some way or overlapping another uh, fingerprint you know there's all that real life effects that happens to evidence that is not controlled but still is part of the evidence in a case anyway. Sure. Now NIST has done a lot of work using the congruent matching approach yes. in firearms and toolmark. Yes. Have you all or anyone else looked at it in some of the other disciplines? Yes, we've done it in preliminary way and only preliminary way in a, a number of hundreds of fingerprints mm -hmm. using inked prints, not latents. And we found that the um, algorithm is very accurate in finding proper matches and non-matches. We have not made a rigorous test yet 
uh, but we're considering it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'd like to see here is a lot more commonality across the disciplines. I think one of the concerns that folks have, for example, about the OSAC process, it's great that it's bottom-up, but one of the problems with bottom-up is that each of the idiosyncrasies of the individual disciplines can lead to confusion, right? I mean, right. If, if everybody's using a different language and a different approach, some of that's necessary because of the different underlying physics or biology or whatever right. else it is, but a lot of it's unnecessary, and there needs to be some kind of way to harmonize across yeah. the disciplines, and at some point at least. I think with my experience and other people who are forensic scientists at NIST and also our partners that have strong experience, interdisciplinary experience, that really helps because you can sense maybe having a particular shop vocabulary for a specialty and you realize that's not going to be very helpful for someone who's doing something different in forensic science. So the harmonization of terms and vocabulary as best as you can to get these concepts uh, similar and synchronized amongst the uh, different forensic disciplines is really going to help because the better we can speak to each other, the better, especially in interdisciplinary cases. There's going to probably be a limit to that, obviously, because of the yeah. technology. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you use the congruent matching algorithm for both the stylus perfilometry and the Alacona data, and yes. then you did a qualitative examination for the CMS criteria. Actually, it's a, I would still say it's quantitative because I'm still counting the yeah. agreement of Stria. But your judgment is what was deciding what was right. a yeah. matching Stria or Yeah, it would be an expert judgment, certainly. Yeah. Bottom line, when we look at the distribution of scores mm -hmm. of known matches and known non-matches, they're a large gulf between the scores. And also the agreement that you could see just by chance, no matter what method that was used in this research and other mm -hmm. research, other than mine, it's very small. That just happens just by chance. In fact, when I did a, many hundreds of comparisons of the tool marks on a comparison microscope, I could only find the maximum best match was three consecutive stria out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stria. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful in knowing that. And also understand it's just not any chisels. These chisels were made one after the other at a factory in order, and then tool marks were produced as carefully and as identically as possible using a controlled tool mark mechanism. I call it a robot, it's kind of like that. The deck was stacked against the system so that if there's a chance for a misidentification, it would be in this population. Yeah, so you looked at both known matches, known non-matches, and you looked at true positives and negatives exactly. and, and, and false positives and negatives. Yeah. What was the rate at which you got false positives in the... There's, there was no false positives. There were no false positives on no, either and, and, any of the three? No, and then there None. Was no okay. false negatives either, false okay. exclusions. The populations between the scores that you'd have in known match conditions, mm -hmm. and they were very high in a population distribution. The agreement in known non-matching orientations was very, very, very small, mm -hmm. way down on the other end, down into the zero, one, and twos. Sure. So if you looked at, say, a spectrum of one to a hundred of segments, the segments that agreed just by chance in almost all of these systems, they're down into like less than five, four mm -hmm. for the known non-match. And then up in the match areas, we're up in the many dozens, many 20 scores. 
Did you use the same angle of attack for each of the chisel marks? Yes, yes. Okay. Because uh-huh. Chumbly Everything. actually looks at different angles, right? Mm-hmm. He's been able to do some predictive work looking at the right. amount of angle. Yes. But he doesn't use the same algorithmic approach. I think he has his own algorithmic yes, approach. Yes, there's other algorithmic approaches. Mm-hmm. I think they're all helpful in that no matter how you slice it, you still get very accurate results using mm-hmm. objective algorithms. But over time, we'll find out which one is probably the most robust when it comes to actual casework. I think that's what will happen. You'll have a theoretical basis, a very strong one, looking at lots of algorithms. But I see in the future that when it comes down to actually a method that people could use, more easily testify to, then that'll probably be likely part of a smaller toolkit that most crime labs will use worldwide. Yeah. It'll be a long time before we have a reference database of every tool possible <laughs> to be used. I, that would be impossible, um, sure. As, yeah, but. and I don't think we'll ever even get to the point where we have a reference database that's completely comprehensive even in firearms examination. I think we can come close. I mean, even the in... ammunition D- types is the problem. Yeah, in DNA, we don't have DNA samples that are run mm-hmm. from everybody in the world, but knowing if you have a good sample of the world and its variations, mm-hmm. then you can make some pretty good estimates as to what a match is and what it isn't. Well, I mean, if a toolmark examiner has a case with a particular type of mark, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they could basically reproduce your work to determine, you know, just how closely does the suspect tool match versus similar tools. It'd be very difficult for them to do consecutively manufactured, right? But, but we uh, have those yeah. samples in our database at NIST. Mm-hmm. We have a ballistic profile database okay. of different firearms, different ammunition, things like that. And it's getting bigger every day. What will probably happen is you have to have the human component in there with the person's experience and abilities on a comparison microscope to make assessment as to whether a tool mark agrees or not, and the subjective opinion whether it's an identification or not. What these objective systems, whether it's 3D, 2D, cross-correlation factors, congruent cells, by whatever method is arrived at in the future, that is the objective mathematical Mm -hmm. assessment as to the agreement the examiner sees in the comparison scope of -hmm. the same evidence. So this is what has been wanted for so long is what the courts and and, uh, other forensic scientists want is some of these subjective opinions have a basis for an objective actual measurement of uh, similarity or difference and that's what we're driving towards so there'll be the human component and then there'll be a surface profile comparison with a score or some kind of a likelihood ratio or whatever is in the future so that that'll augment the testimony of the examiner. Sure. I'm trying to find analogies, and, and, uh, but I think of in, in baseball. You know, baseball used to be very gut-oriented, and I'm an old Orioles fan, and of course Earl Weaver was one of the first people to bring in numbers, right? He would have an index card on each player and actually think about who was going to bat against which pitcher and of that nature, and of course that's now quite the science, but it hasn't replaced the manager, has it? You still need that judgment to weigh all the different kinds of information there, whether it's the straight sabermetrics information, that's the statistical comparison, or the knowledge about that player, whether they're injured that day or whatever else they might be right. going on. So all that's, that's important. And that's why fundamentally there's still going to have to be a game played with all those mm-hmm. knowns and all the unknowns. They all have to come in together in the mix and a game is played to see what the true outcome will be. 
Well, yeah, and you don't want to go into that game not knowing what your strengths and weaknesses exactly. are. Being, being able to go into court with some backing about what the quantitative value of your subjective judgment might have been yes. is nothing but you know common sense. You want to have that in your back pocket and be able to say it. And there's also another practical positive aspect to trying to get objective measurement and whatever criteria involved. It helps quality assurance in a crime laboratory. Not only will you have a second examiner qualifying a conclusion, but you'll have a metric also to compare to and have that being as part of the history of the laboratory as they're doing actual casework. Yeah. We mentioned briefly before the podcast I have concerns about proficiency testing because I feel like too much proficiency testing is itself subjective, right? It's almost so conservative to the point where how useful is it in some fields. And it would be nice to be able to say in a proficiency test that you have different levels of difficulty. If you don't at least train to error, it's a problem. It's a judgment call to some extent where the field wants to be in proficiency testing in that regard. Interesting you bring that up is that not speaking to proficiency testing itself. We are working with another outside the United States laboratory where we have got cartridge cases where we have measured for similarity and difference across a whole spectrum. And we're giving those to another laboratory where they can be looked at by human examiners. Human examiners make the assessment using comparison microscopy. Then they give an estimate as to how strong or how weak their subjective opinion is as to their conclusion. And we're going to see with the other uh, laboratory how close their gut opinion, if you want to call it that, but it's more than that. You know, it's also expertise involved. How close do they synchronize their opinion as to the strength of the agreement to actually what the actual measurement algorithm said? How much fun is that? I can't wait to see that result. So your idea of actually having a method to actually measure the similarity in an objective fashion to help qualify proficiency tests or maybe make the next generation of samples that will go out more closely span the spectrum and casework, that's got some real value. Yeah. I don't know how granular you need to be with it. I mean, there are certain kinds of firearm types that are easier than others, right? Yes. And so, you know, I think a lot of examiners could probably do, uh, you know, the majority of exams fairly easily. But, uh, you know, there are probably some Glocks or things like that that are just more challenging comparisons. And you want to show, you want to demonstrate at some level that those difficult comparisons are within your ability. And when we talk about difficult comparisons, most often what's in the back of the examiner's mind is, if I knew these came from the same firearm, the bullets or cartridge cases, and I don't see much agreement, and I have to really work at it to even see any agreement, that would be a difficult comparison. Likely, if it's that difficult, and there's everything else agrees enough to make an identification, it'll fall in the inconclusive pile. So quite often, when we talk about difficult comparisons in the vernacular, is this how much effort it takes to make an identification or some strong opinion, like an exclusion. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's difficult because it's more likely there's going to be an error made or something like that. I want to make that clear. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, that's all very good work, and we appreciate you being a part of the IPTIS conference, and uh, can't wait to hear about that and some of the other stuff that's coming out of NIST. NIST has done an enormous amount of good with respect to things like not only the algorithm development for things like congruent matching and uh, correlation function work, but also, of course, in the area of firearms and tool marks. I know you're at the center of that, Robert. Thank you for being on Just Science. Thank you.
Next week, Just Science sits down with Cammie Fugglesby from South Dakota State University to discuss sufficiency and complexity factors in handwriting examination. This season will cover content given at the NIJ Forensic Technology Center of Excellence's Impression Pattern and Trace Evidence Symposium. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding. <laughs>